Hey, it's Resurrection Sunday. Resurrection Sunday. Right, this is, this is the day, Easter Sunday. See, for some of you, if you're here, maybe you don't normally come to church. Maybe you're here because somebody, somebody said to you, well, if you come to church, you know, I'll shelter lunch. <laughs> right? You may be a teenager and you say, well, if you come along, I'll shelter you Maccas or something like that. Uh, or maybe you're here because your mum made you come. I don't know, whatever the reason you're here, whatever the reason here, uh, I want you to, to consider consider becoming a Christ follower and despite, in spite of the fact you, you know some Christians, right? In spite of the fact you know some Christians, in, in spite of the fact you may be married to one, in spite of the fact you might think we're all a bunch of hypocrites, the reason why I want you to, to consider becoming a Christ follower is because what, of what we celebrate at Easter. Because there is... The foundation of our Christian faith is not based upon Christians. It's not based on the behavior of Christians, and praise God for that. The foundation of the Christian faith is not even based upon answered prayers or having all your your questions answered. (laughs) The foundation of the Christian faith is what we celebrate at Easter. And if, honestly, think about this. How did the Christian faith survive the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago? How did they survive the Roman Empire? How, how did the Christian movement, this Jesus movement, how did it survive Judaism who, who saw Christianity as some form of cult, Right? 2,000 years ago, the Romans and the Jewish leaders, they teamed up to try to stamp out this crazy movement called the Way, this, this Jesus movement. They tried to stamp it out 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years later, there is no Roman Empire. There's no Roman Empire. And yet, billions of people are gathering this weekend to celebrate a Jewish carpenter who only went public for only three years. Think about it. Jesus' ministry only went for three years, and and yet today, 2,000 years later, billions of people are gathering in his name. That's crazy. How did that happen? doesn't make any sense. There's no reasonable explanation of why that has happened, except what we celebrate at Easter. Except what we celebrate at Easter. Here's what's not a mystery. What's not a mystery is how religions and movements are started. There's kind of a pattern to it. There's kind of a science to it, right? And what happens generally, how movements and religions start, generally there's a bit of unrest amongst the population, right? Factions start, divisions start. Then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you have this charismatic leader. They just appear, and they begin to craft these sentences and words, and they begin to say things. And, 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 and people are like, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking that thing. That's what I believe. Then this person comes kind of like a hero, a, a, a legend, and, and people look up, up to them. Then eventually, this person dies. And then the people are like, we've got to... We've got to keep this thing alive. 
We're going to keep these teachings and these beliefs alive. And they begin to carry this forward into the next generation, into the next generation, into the next generation. This is how religions and, and movements are formed. There's a pattern to it. There's a science that we can see this. Think of the civil rights movement. Dr. Martin, Martin Luther King, amazing man. Loved God, filled with the Spirit. When Dr. Martin Luther King died, the movement didn't die. It just carried on. The, the teachings and other leaders took it up. The, these teachings and these ideas and the civil rights movement, and, and it's still going on today. And, but there's been made huge strides since then. Think about Islam. Like how, how Islam started, for instance, like before Muhammad surfaced, the Arab tribes, they, they worshipped idols, they worshipped many, many gods. And then one day, this, this young man, they, he, he appeared out of nowhere, kind of, just kind of like, just, just appeared out of a cave, and, and you see that God spoke to him through an angel, right? And this man will come to be known as the prophet Muhammad. And he said that, that, God, he said that God spoke to him from an angel. Then he went and he told his family, he told his, his, his villagers, the villagers, and he was a very gifted leader. And before long, he had a following, and it grew. And it grew, and it grew. Then he had an army. He was a very tactful general. In fact, if we can look over history of all tactful generals, uh, the Prophet Muhammad would be one of the, these, these tacticians as a general. He was a very, very, very good general. Then he turned the Arab tribes from, um, from polytheism to, worship, to worshiping a single god. He introduces monotheism, right? And so all of a sudden, these Arab tribes and this Arab nation uh, they're galvanized when they were never organized before, and the, the religion of Islam was born, right? They never had literature before. Now they've got literature. And so this happened 600 years after Jesus. And, uh, and then eventually the prophet Muhammad dies of natural causes. And his, and his followers say, we've got to keep these ideas, these teachings alive, and this belief about God alive. And they begin to take these teachings, and they begin to carry it on. And, and then Islam becomes a world religion. It's a fascinating story, but it's one that we can understand. It's one that makes sense. We can see the patterns happening, and it makes sense, right? Let's think of a modern-day example, okay? The, the anti-mandate movement. Ooh, ooh, that's a bit of a tough... So, so I'm, gonna, I'm, not giving, I'm not giving you any kind of opinions on it. Just how did that start, right? Somebody's like, how did that start? I can't believe it. Like, how did it start? Well, here's the thing. How is it that people who who didn't like Brian Tarmacky or even hated him, all of a sudden become great admirers of him. People that weren't even, they're not even religious, they become great admirers of him. How does it happen? You just apply, apply the same thing. You get this charismatic leader, stands up, begins to say things and craft things. What people, are, people think, people go, wait, oh, that's what I'm thinking. That's what I believe. So these, you can apply these patterns and go, oh, these are how movements begin. These are how religions begin. But then when you take these patterns and, and you try to apply it onto Christianity, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. And the reason it doesn't work is because of Jesus' message. The problem is Jesus' message. It just doesn't work. It's crazy. It's like, it's like how, how in the world did the church survive? How in the world get out of the first century? Like, it doesn't fit any, any mold. It doesn't fit any patterns. How in the world did this even happen? Right? It's just kind of crazy. Because here's the thing. Jesus never advocated any kind of liberation or revolution to upset the status quo. 
right? Or introduce some kind of new ideas. I mean, every once in a while, someone will try to put him up against Rome. Try to put him up against Rome. And what will Jesus, what's his reply? Give to Caesar, what is Caesar's? Give to God, what is God? Others will come along and say, hey, are you, are you trying to start a new kingdom? Are you, trying to, is this what, are you trying to start a new kingdom? And then Jesus will disappoint them again and says, my kingdom is not even of this world, right? And, and in terms of Judaism, in terms of, and, you know, when, and they, they try to trap Jesus. He would, say, he would say to them, I'm not trying to overturn Jewish law. I'm not trying to overturn Jewish tradition. In fact, I'm here to keep the law, and so should you. You should keep the law as well. He takes the Jewish law and he takes it up another notch. He takes, he, he takes it up to another standard. Right? In fact, when Pilate was tr- tried Jesus, he goes back to the people and he goes, I see, no- I see nothing wrong from this guy. You bring him to me like he's some kind of revolutionary. He's not a revolutionary. I've, I've interrogated him. He's no revolutionary. He's no threat to Rome. There's no ideas that's going to upset the Roman Empire. Who is this guy you bring? He's got nothing. He comes with nothing. And this was the problem of Jesus' message. This is what the problem of his message. In fact, the other problem with Jesus' message is that Jesus, Jesus' message was all about Jesus. Did you know that? Jesus' message was all about Jesus. So when Jesus died, their hopes died with him. Because, because Jesus' message, he was so much at the center of his message that when he died, when he was at the cross, when he was crucified, none of his followers were going, oh, now that our leader is dead. Now our leader is dead. We're standing at the cross. Now he's dead. Let's take his ideas. Let's take his teachings. And let's begin to, to further it and let's keep it alive. There were no Christians at the cross. Those who were there who, who followed him thought that when Jesus was crucified, he's going to stay dead. They didn't believe that he was going to raise again. There was no Christians at the cross because there was no Christians. When Jesus died, their hopes died with him. Because Jesus was so much at the center of his teachings, there was nothing to pass on to the next generation. Because how can you pass something on where he's the center of it and and he's dead. There was nothing to pass on. When Jesus died, no one believed his message. No one. When Jesus died, no one took his claim seriously. When Jesus died, the movement died with him. Because Jesus was the movement. Jesus was the message. Jesus was the center It wasn't about his principles. It wasn't even about his parables, all his ideas, but it was about Jesus. It was all about Jesus. That's why his closest followers abandoned him at the cross when he was arrested. The very people who brought us the story of Jesus present themselves as cowards. If you were going to write yourself into a story fictionally, right, would you write yourself in, in, in a story as a coward, right? No, no. You would write yourself as the hero, Right? That's, that's what I'll do if I write a story with me in it. <laughs> Does that say too much about me? I don't know. When Jesus died, the movement died with him. There was no Christians at the cross. There was no 
Christians after the crucifixion. There was, there was no Christians waiting outside the tomb for him to rise. There was no one there waiting, waiting for him to rise. When Jesus died, the movement died with him. So how on earth did this movement survive the first century? It's because of what happened at Easter. Easter is history's mystery. And here's how the story unfolds. Jesus is crucified on the cross. And these, these two men take Jesus from the cross. They wrap him up in cloths and they, and they, and they put him on the tomb very quickly because if you, if you know their tradition, Passover was coming sundown and they had to quickly get him buried otherwise they couldn't work. So they, they, so they wrap him up in cloth and they bury him. Now the woman knew that if the men did it, it probably needs to be redone, right? Well, the woman says amen, all right? And so they turn up to the tomb three days later. Now, this is very important. In the first century, women had no credibility. I know, shocking, right? No credibility. In the first century, women couldn't even, couldn't even appear and testify in court. What? Yeah, exactly. If Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John could somehow get the woman out of the story of the resurrection, if they could somehow get them out of it, they would have. Because having women there, right, it took away the credibility of the story. But do you know why the gospel writers begin to pen and say that women were the first people to discover the empty tomb? Do you know why they wrote that in the story? And this is very profound. I want you to write this down. The reason, they, the reason why they wrote this is because women we were the first people to discover an empty tomb. <laughs> Profound, isn't it? Because it actually happened. This is not some fictionary story. If you're going to make up a story, you wouldn't put them in there. Because it actually happened, they're in the story. They're in the story. Right? So when the woman found this empty tomb, they didn't go, praise the Lord, Jesus is alive. Not at all. They assumed someone stole the body. Right? Because when Jesus died, they thought he stayed dead. Because Jesus said that he was the resurrection and the life, and the, and the resurrection and the life cannot be crucified. So they thought he will stay dead. And someone saw the body. They run back to the disciples, and they told the disciples that Jesus' body is gone. And here, listen to their reaction. Luke chapter 24, verse 11. But they did not believe the woman. Because their words seemed to them like nonsense. And, and some of the husbands here, yeah, I can get that. <laughs> no, no. Oh, they shouldn't be thinking that. Right? It seemed like nonsense. And somebody's like, you must, obviously you went to the wrong tomb, right? This is nonsense. No wonder we don't allow a woman to testify in court. Okay. <laughs> John, John chapter 20, verse 3 to 8. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Now, John, this is, the other disciple is John. John's writing the story. It's John. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Every time I read that, it cracks me up, right? John really wanted us to know that he was faster than Peter. 
He really wanted you to know that he's faster than Peter. Like, he's writing the story. I'm the, if I'm going to write myself a hero, at least I can write this bit. I'm faster than that guy. He had a bit too much lamb at the Passover meal. Okay, here we go. Verse 5, he bent over. John gets there first. He bent over and looked in. So he bent and looked in at the straps of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, just want to make sure you know that. I'm gonna, so I'm going to repeat it twice in my story, in case you've forgotten. Also went inside. He saw and, and he what? He believed. He saw and he believed. John, who had been with Jesus for three years, when did he believe? It wasn't when he saw the miracles. It wasn't when he saw Jesus restore sight to the blind. It wasn't when, when he saw Jesus feed the thousands with just five loaves of bread and two fish. But it's when he saw an empty tomb. Suddenly, these, these cowards, these disciples who had failed Jesus before the cross, who didn't expect a resurrection, who went and hid to save their lives, suddenly these, these cowards are now on the streets of Jerusalem preaching boldly. And they did not preach the principles of Jesus. They didn't preach the parables of Jesus. They didn't even preach the love of Jesus. They didn't preach anything Jesus taught. And we have, so Peter stands up before the crowd. This is the same Peter, the same Peter who failed. This is the same Peter who denounced Jesus three times. He stands up and boldly, boldly says in Acts chapter 2, verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. The people believe the message. And I'm like, what do we do? What should we do? There's too many people running around the city saying they've seen him. What do we need to do? And Peter replies in verse 38, repent. Turn away from your sins. That's what the word repent means. Turn away from your sins and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the what? For the forgiveness of your sins. This is the claim Jesus was making. This was the claim Jesus was making with the last supper with his disciples. This cup represents my body that we, that we poured out on his blood for the forgiveness of your sins. This was the claim he made. And how he proved that claim? He rose again. He rose again. 
some of you in this room here and you just thought that, oh, you know, I don't think God will ever use me. But let me tell you something. This, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that dwells within you. And he says to you, rise. Rise. And follow me. Regardless of what you did last night. Regardless of what you did last week. Are you ready to leave your life of sin and follow me? Come on. He's inviting us into a new way of living. To be free from shame and regret. This is rise. How did the church survive? Why is it that a third of the world's population are gathering this weekend and proclaim that Jesus is Lord? What re-engaged his followers after the cross? It wasn't his teachings. It was the resurrection. The resurrection. So here's, here's what it means for us. It means that if you are a Christian, your hope is not in vain. It means when Jesus says that He is the resurrection and the life, He is the resurrection and the life. It means that if you have loved ones who have passed, who are in Christ Jesus, you will be reunited with them again. It means that no matter how bad your church experience was, no matter how crooked that last Christian you did business with was, no, no matter how you witnessed a whole bunch of hypocrisy was, you should give Jesus another glance. Not because of what he taught, but first and foremost, because he claimed to die for your sins. And then he rose. He rose. He's alive. Meaning, regardless of how far away you think you are from God, maybe you feel like you're in your darkest hour, He's with you right where you are. He's not finished with you yet. He is the resurrection of life, He is the doorway, He is the center. And he has never given up on you. We may have given up on him, failed just like the disciples. His arms are always up. Come on, Peter. Time to come home, Peter. Wherever you are, he invites you in. See, the book of Acts tells us that there were over 500 people who saw the resurrected Jesus. Over 500 people. And the people that re-engaged with this message after the resurrection would later go on and die for this, not because of what they believed. This is really important. They didn't die because of what they believed, because many people do that. Lots of people die for what they believe. Freedom! You Braveheart fans out there. Lots of people die for what they believed. 
but they died for what they saw. A resurrected Savior. Come on, church, let us pray.